Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bow in your presence. May your word be our rule, your spirit our teacher, and your greater glory our supreme concern. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Uh, well, good to be back with you after one week off. And, uh, and there's one more week, and then Father Scott will be returning. So uh, the time is coming soon. Um, I have some good advice for you, though. A good rule of thumb is, to remember is never ask a recent Ph.D. graduate what his or her dissertation was about. Um, um, that is, unless you have a half hour to spare and you can fake interest in what it's about. All right? uh, now, I'm not a recent graduate, but still, I'm glad you asked. Um, My dissertation was trying to figure out how some contemporary theologians uh, supported the idea of asking God to do whatever it is we ask God to do. Um, It was an important topic for me because I was having difficulties in my prayer life with what we call petitioning God or petitionary prayer. Because we, we live, right, in a, in a world that's interpreted by modern science where stuff happens according to natural cause and effect, not according to some sort of divine intervention. And we also live in a world of holocausts. And in those cases, our prayers just seem to bounce off the ceiling. And then we cry out, uh, not only that, but we, we, we cry out to God. And then we're not sure, so we ask you know, God for something and quickly add, if it be your will. Yeah, implying that we really don't think we're going to get what we asked for unless God already predetermined it, right? In which case, we're not really asking God, we're thanking God for whatever happens, right? And so this was really a tough issue for me. And I worked on this for five years. And after five years, I got a PhD and my prayer life back. It was... It was a good bargain. But there's more to this story. Before we could qualify uh, to write a dissertation, we had to sit for five six-hour written examinations, followed by a two-hour oral exam uh, based on all that we had written. Well, the only exam I was worried about in the upcoming oral was the one overseen by the professor who uh, could be rather mean-spirited. And so some of our church's women who gathered for their weekly uh, Bible study and prayers the morning of my oral examination were asked to pray for me, especially in light of this professor. Well, one of the women knew this professor and said, there's no use in praying that he will be nice to Dennis. We just need need to pray that he won't show up. (laughs) And you know what? He forgot to come to the oral. <laughs> and, and then flash forward five years when I was defending my dissertation. This professor attended the uh, defense and was the last to speak up. And he said, now, I didn't read your dissertation, but you really do believe that God answers prayer. And I said, yes. And he never knew why. (laughs) Well, brothers and sisters, I will still answer yes. I will still answer yes. But I want to say to you this morning that like Jacob, we might have to wrestle with God a bit sometimes. 
And, and even though God is not really like that callous judge in the parable, we might have to pester God just a bit. And it might take a while to get God's response, as Paul reminded Timothy, instructed him today in our, gospel, in, our, in our letter reading, because we may have to do the work that God has called us to do while we're enduring, enduring suffering. But we still say yes, because the wrestling and the pestering and the enduring are evidence of our faith, of our belief that God really does respond to our prayers. Now, this parable that Jesus told his uh, hearers has to be set within the larger context of Luke's gospel because in the previous chapter, Jesus is talking about the coming of the kingdom of God. And so in this context, um, Luke wants to tell us that Jesus wanted us to uh, wanted to use this parable to tell his disciples that even though uh, the kingdom is slow in coming, they should not lose heart. They should keep praying. Um, If the kingdom doesn't come quickly or if their prayers are not immediately answered, don't lose heart. It it was especially important for his disciples to learn since they were soon to witness the injustices of Jesus's trial and crucifixion at the hands of the Roman state. He's talking about tenacious, hopeful faith in the midst of whatever is happening to you. Now, they would have understood the situation of the parable that Jesus was using because in Israel, judges were the final say. There was no court of appeals. And they might have guessed that the widow's case had something to do with money, the money to which she was entitled. But the judge in this parable, he's a law to himself, right? We heard it. I mean, he acts like he is not accountable to God. He's not accountable to other people. He he is a law to himself. He doesn't even intend to hear this woman's case, even though uh, that's his duty. Uh, He just doesn't want to be inconvenienced by this woman. Now, this woman is described as a widow. And widows in that culture were uh, vulnerable victims in a a culture of male dominance. Uh, In fact, they were the most vulnerable after orphans. And so this widow is a symbol of helplessness, um, because uh, she's a woman who couldn't even inherit her husband's estate and was dependent on the compassionate of the surrounding community. And you know what? Even often these uh, widows were homeless. You remember the story of Ruth? Um, That's exactly probably what this woman was experiencing. Uh, In fact, she may have had to have gleaned the leftovers um, after the harvest uh, in the fields to eat. So... Who would advocate for this welfare woman who's just simply asking for justice? Who would back up the innocent one and punish the guilty one? She's just asking for justice to be administered in her case. Now, perhaps she knew the Jewish scriptures, that God is the protector of widows and the judge of all who abuse them. This is said in Exodus. It's said in Deuteronomy and the Psalms and Isaiah. And and certainly we're told in Paul's letters and in the book of James that the care of widows was a Christian responsibility in the early church, in the New Testament church. Well, this judge finally does the right thing, but he does it for the wrong reason, right? Uh, The Greek verb in verse 4 that we uh, read translated, beat me down, 
literally in the Greek means to strike in the eye, to give a black eye to. Yeah, so what the judge seems to be saying is this. Look, I will lose face if she keeps following me around. If people see her pestering me day after day, I'll be publicly disgraced. I'll lose my prestige. Be like going around with a black eye. And so Jesus is making the point that if, if, even if a person of poor character might act justly if he is re- pestered repeatedly, how much more we should never give up petitioning the gracious and just and loving Father. But let's be honest. Waiting for God's answer, that's the hard part, right? I mean, by the time that Luke wrote his gospel, which um, may have been about 50 years after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, there were probably a lot of people who were getting impatient at the delay of the Lord's return. He promised. Where is he? It's been 50 years. So like us, these disciples were waiting in that in-between time, in the meantime, between Jesus' resurrection and God's final establishment of God's kingdom. And so like us, Jesus is encouraging to keep, keep hoping, not to quit praying down the kingdom, because that kind of praying is an act of faith. In fact, it's a, it's a theological statement. It's a witness to our belief in a God who is righteous and caring and just. But even with the promise in verse 7 that God will give justice to his chosen ones, it's the waiting. It's the waiting that might seem to be the reason why we, we heard in the rest of verse 8, we heard it read, Jesus asks this question, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Will God find faith among the widows? Will God find faith among those who endure suffering? Some in the church, when Luke wrote this gospel, may already have been in despair. In the previous chapter, Jesus did say, some are going to lose heart and they're going to fall away. It's as if the disciples are left behind enemy lines. But, Jesus says that those behind enemy lines still have a way to communicate that will keep them moving forward to God's final victory. Jesus' disciples have to keep faith. We've got to keep praying despite all the outward appearances. We must not doubt that God will eventually respond. But the question Jesus asks is that, if we're going to, are we going to persevere in waiting for it? And by the way, it's really important to pay attention to what kind of prayer request Jesus is talking about in this parable. It's not pestering God to make sure that you win the lottery, right? Right? And it's, it's not persevering in prayer until God makes you the CEO of your corporation. It's praying for justice. It's praying for vindication. It's praying for the end of suffering at those uh, at the hands of persecutors, especially in situations where it seems like that kind of request is, is beyond, uh, it's a pipe dream. And then notice this in the parable. The widow puts feet on her words. 
She keeps going. We have to put action to our prayers. I mean, our prayer life happens not just when we're on our knees. It is also taking place when we're, wa- when we're walking the faith. In fact, there are times, I think, when God invites us uh, to have an active part in being the answer to our prayers. So Jesus is inviting us to participate in the establishment of his justice by inviting us to pray down the kingdom. It begins when we're baptized because you and I, when we're baptized, we're baptized into God's story. And as a result, God has called us to be be real players in this covenant-keeping, life-restoring work of salvation. In fact, as the Lord's church, we are the central participants in what's going to happen. We flesh out what it means for Christ to be the power that subjects all things to himself, just as we pray every week in the Eucharistic prayer. But we still feel the tension, right? We still feel the tension in this in-between time. We still feel the tension between the world populated by enemies of the cross and the final victory of the risen Lord and God who will will at some point keep the promise that he made clear back in Genesis 3.15 to have the seed of Eve, the seed of Mary, the seed of Abraham crush the serpent's head. How the church lives out in the meantime, that's the crucial part. Those who feel this tension have always been Jesus' disciples who just aren't satisfied with the status quo with the way things have been going. We're people who get involved in this world to proclaim the gospel. We're never satisfied with how far justice has been established on this earth. We're always looking for the revolutionary overthrow of the powers that try to stand in the way of the kingdom's coming. We Christians, we're to be radical people who are turning the world upside down just as the disciples were described in Acts 17.6. They're turning the world upside down. We are people who judge the present world in the name of a truth which does not yet exist but which is coming because we believe that the reality we pray for is more genuine and more real than the reality which surrounds us. We're to be bringing the future coming of the kingdom of God into the present as an explosive force. And this is really what Today's parable and Paul's admonition to Timothy is getting at. Live in the light of the future fulfillment of what God has promised. And that kind of living involves loyal service. Using what we have now to make more evident a coming reality that is more real than our present circumstances. But, but that's going to take the kind of faithful praying that we've been talking about. And when we pray the Lord's Prayer during the Eucharist today, we will once again be praying, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it has already been established in heaven. Because when we pray that prayer, we are doing something to the world of which we are not to be mere spectators, but 
We are asking God to enable us to accept His will for our lives and for the world and even to pay the price for accepting that will and to clear away anything that hinders that acceptance in our lives. The Lord's Prayer that we pray, it's not a prayer for people who want things to remain the way they are. It's a revolutionary prayer. It's a renewal of our confidence that the future ultimately belongs to God and that we in the church are part of its coming. So today, having done our work of worship within these four walls, praising God, being confronted by God's word, celebrating Eucharist, the church will once again return to the church's neighborhoods and businesses and schools and families and city streets and suburban malls and parks In other words, church, we go anywhere that we have to go, dispersed after we hear the deacon say, charge, which is actually exactly what the deacon is doing. Because you are church 24-7, even after you leave this building. We who are called to the Eucharist are to go back to the world to tell people that what we have tasted and heard and seen is real. Into these places, the church is called to bring the good news of the kingdom of God because there's a restlessness in the world about which the church has some inside information. There's a sense that things could be better in the world. There's a sense that things could be more just, more peaceful, more loving. A sense that even if it seems impossible, it could be. And the church knows why people have this restlessness restlessness, and the church knows the only one who can make it a reality. This is our hope. And that's why we join the widow in Jesus' parable asking the heavenly judge to make it a reality. We're not completely there yet. Or as the saying goes in the movie, the best exotic marigold hotel. Everything will be all right in the end. And if everything is not all right, we are not yet at the end. (laughs) So we keep praying, church. We keep praying as believers. And when Jesus asks, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? We will answer as church a resounding, yes, amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.